Romans. We're going to get into Romans again tonight. Uh, if I get my Bible, we will. We're going to go live in just a moment. <clears throat> Thought I took my Bible up already. My sword. So, we're in Romans. We're going to get into the, the part of Romans that the world really hates tonight. <laughs> the culture hates uh, so, uh, there won't be any Bible study tomorrow. We welcome all you guys that have joined us live wherever you're at, in the state, in the country, around the globe. Those of you who will get this podcast somewhere, sometime this week, uh, we welcome all of you all. We're going to pick up in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, we're going to pick up with, and some pretty powerful stuff in here for us to pay attention to, but again, I think you'll see just where the world's at when you read this and how much of a, a clear parallel this is to what's going on today. And God is not caught off guard with anything. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he loves everybody. Would you agree? But he hates sin. He hates it enough to nail his own son to a tree. That's how much God hates sin and how much he cares about us to redeem us out of it. So that's where we're going to go tonight. Romans 1 verse 18. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for watching over us. We thank you for all the blessings you pour in our life. We ask you to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. Help us to be more like you each day as we follow in this path, the footsteps of the Messiah. We know you're able to do far above what we can think or ask, God. So as this word comes out tonight, Lord, let he that hath an ear hear what the Lord has said, what the Spirit has said to us through the writings of the Apostle Paul. We know you breathe these words, Lord, and men just penned them down. So we're thankful that you didn't leave us in the dark about things. That you've given us clear direction and clear instruction. May we heed that in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 1 verse 18, <clears throat> start off with a bang here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So that is basically, without defining all those specifically, uh, where we've decided to do things our way instead of doing them God's way. And God has given us a clear picture of how he wants things done, who he is, uh, his son has modeled all that for us, and many of his people have modeled that and taught us. And so things that we do against God and against his righteousness. And look at this next line. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So <clears throat> that problem happens with false religions. It happens even, I hate to say it this, but it happens inside the church world. People who uh, suppress the truth uh, inside of religious functions or organizations. This is they, uh, the wrath of God is revealed against this ungodliness and unrighteousness. People who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So I was looking at this word. Katecho uh, is the Greek word for uh, suppress or hold. If you've got the old King James, it will say hold. Suppress is uh, a little bit more specific. Uh, but then the word here is, is more specific. It is 
they actually hold it down. Now, if you go back to some of the early church practices, um, <clears throat> I'm trying to get the green light here from the Holy Spirit on something. That's why I'm pausing just a little bit here. Uh, if, you, if you go back to certain church practices a long time ago, a lot of people grew up in settings where they weren't encouraged to read their Bible. They weren't encouraged to know the truth. In fact, some churches use languages that most people in the congregation didn't even know. You know, and so they weren't, they weren't encouraged to do what Paul talked about the Bereans. Remember the Bereans that said they searched the Scripture daily to make sure they were being told the truth, you know. So uh, it's important for you to stay in the Word, especially now. Right, I have no intention of misleading you all as your pastor, and if I have an opinion, I'm always clear to make that make that. I'm always sure to make that clear. I'll tell you, everybody says so what the preacher thinks. I'll make it clear. But there's so much media out there, and so many people spewing things. So you, it's important for you to be in the Word so you can catch it. Right, you can identify and say that don't line up with the Scripture. And uh, so, but these guys, this word, katecho, means uh, to hold down, to restrain. And it also, I thought this was interesting, that it's uh, people who contradict their position by their conduct. I thought that was interesting. That That's the people. And you're going to see that, right, as we travel through here. Because God's not going to mince words as we go through here. You know, <clears throat> most people wish... They could have left all the sexual immorality stuff in the Old Testament and laid it off as the law until you get into passages like this and God just kind of nails it to the wall. Uh, so he says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. So you're talking about a group of people that have access to the truth, right? And they're suppressing it. They're suppressing it by how they live and they're holding it down in unrighteousness, right? We've always said, right, that people, uh, it's not what you say, but it's what you do, right, with your children, like raising your children. You can tell your children to do something, but if you do the opposite of that, right, we'll never, most of us will never forget the Andy Griffith show where Opie called him out, right, online. And Andy was trying to say, well, grown-ups, you know, sometimes, you know. And, and I'll be just staring him down. And, and so uh, we got to live what we say, right? That's basically what's being said here. Uh, what may be manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now, notice what God is holding the world and men and women responsible for. For since creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen so God's I don't care what the world believes or what they say they believe uh, God's holding them a responsibility with creation now you you know there's there's a supreme architect out there his name's Jehovah God we know who he is and that he's in charge and he's done so many wonderful things to get us to understand who he is he says for since this that the invisible attributes are clearly seen Right? I mean, he, God's going to hold us responsible for those things. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power uh, and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
So the first place God's going to hold people responsible is with his creation. He's the one that made everything. He's the one that... And if you read over in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says they willfully forget. They don't want that knowledge. You've heard some of these people testify about how they did some of the most atrocious things that we've ever even heard about from murder to debased things. Some of them that say they that have been converted, they'll say, I didn't want to believe in God because I didn't want to be accountable to anybody. And that's what it boils down to. They could care less how the world was created, most of them. They just want a world without a God. Because if they can have a world without a judge looking over it, then they can do whatever they want to, at least in their minds. And so that's, that's what that boils down to. We, we, want, we want to change the world's understanding of God. We want to get rid of God if we can, right? And uh, so that we can uh, live our own lives the way we want to. I read an article, a secular article, it's been years ago, said you could tell um, America changed the day the Beatles landed on shore. Because although the Beatles' music has certainly not gone to the satanic degree that some other groups have over the years, but they started getting people, young people to think, right? Because they sang songs like, Imagine There's No Heaven. Right? Imagine there's no hail. They started putting those ideas into the culture. And of course, men have run with that. Now we've got whole institutions that have departments in them like Harvard that teach there's no God. Right? An institution that was actually founded with God originally now has departments in it that teach there's no God and that it wasn't creation. It was a big bang and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the seed gets planted. The devil's very crafty. He, he didn't come in. Imagine what would have happened to America if the devil sent ACDC first instead of the Beatles. He knew what he was doing, right? Now, ACDC's horrendous, Right? I saw, I was going through the channels about four years ago and I saw a, a clip of their concert. I thought, I'm going to stop here and watch this. And they were worshiping in an AC. They had their hands raised up, worshiping. Just like we would to worship God. But you couldn't have brought that to America first, right? The devil's good at what he does. He's like a boa constrictor. He just slithers in, just starts tightening up things just a little bit, right? That's how he works in our culture, our country. That's how he works on us individually, right? Just get a little bit of uh, untruth in there. Don't hit them with it all at once or they'll resist it, right? Don't come to America singing, we're all on the highway to hell. Just tell them to think about maybe there's not a heaven and maybe there's not a hell. Let's, let's ease into this, right? That's how subtle and crafty Satan is, Right? And so now we're here where we're at. We're in a culture that Paul's actually describing here. He says, uh, because although they knew God, uh, they did not glorify him as God, nor were, they, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now let's work with this verse just for a minute. I want to show you this word futile. All right. 
And I'll just uh, write this word up here for you. It's uh, mata aumea. That's the Greek word for futile or vain. Your old King James used the word vain. <clears throat> futile or futile, however you want to say that, your way, my way, and the right way. This is the word that's translated futile or vain, whatever. Either way, that, this word they translate. And, and again, both of, those, both of those words, futile and vain, have implications. They imply this word. They give us a facet of it. But I thought this word was interesting. A better, uh, a better translation may have been foolish. Uh, another one word that, this, that illustrates this is empty. And then as I went a little deeper, here's what I found out about this word. You look at that word and you think, that's a good description, right? Futile, vain, uh, foolish. Those are all good words. Empty is another good word. Those are all good words to try and illustrate what's being said there. But the deeper I ran this word, I found this as a deep part of the meaning. Transitoriness. transitoriness. One of the biggest problems in our culture is the confusion of everything, right? Which bathroom to use? I'm in transition. I'm living my own truth. I transition from this one day to that one day. And I found this word in the meaning of this word here in the Greek. And it means somebody who's not persistent. Somebody who's always fleeting and someone who don't last, and they're, here it is, they're given to change. And now, you, uh, it's crazy how from transgenderism to whatever they call it, all the transitional stuff, there's no sure footing. And that's what this word's trying to say. There's no sure footing in these people. They run, they blow with the wind. They're always fleeting. They're always changing. And never coming to the knowledge of the truth is how Paul puts it. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 24 verse, or just put it up on the screen if you want. Proverbs 24 verse 21. It's an interesting proverb here. In Proverbs 24 uh, verse 21. <clears throat> uh, he says, My son... Fear the Lord and the King and do not associate with those given to change. Fear the Lord and the King. It's a little K. Fear the Lord and the King and do not associate with those given to change. Because when you suppress the truth or turn from the truth, you have to be, you don't have any footing. And that's why there's so much trouble in our culture because we are so transitory, would maybe be the word. And that's part of the meaning of this word. How people just are confused, foolish, vain, futile. And they're in a position where they're constantly wavering because they're not built on truth. They don't last because they're always given to change. Now, 
We need to change internally as the Holy Spirit directs us. But we cannot veer from this. I, I want to say this as loud as I can. Nothing in here's changed. The things God hates in here, He still hates. The things He's called sin are still sin. But in our culture, a lot of things that God called sin, we call sicknesses now. I'm going to hit something that not everybody's going to like, I guess. But the Bible says it gives us about three or four lists in the New Testament. And, and in those lists are things like drunkenness. People who practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, drunkenness now is a sickness, according to the world. Well, then we got a messed up God. We got a God that's sending people to hell for being sick. That don't make sense, does it? But yet if you read Galatians and Corinthians and Revelation, he says those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, if they're just sick, somebody needs to tell God. You see what's happened to us? We've let science tell us what God's Word says. How did we get here? I, I run, and we're going get, to get into some uh, tough stuff here in a minute. But I run into people that are, live sexually immoral lives, and they say to me, they say, well, I was born that way. You know what my response is? So was I. You were born into sin. I was born into sin. I chose that sin. You chose that sin. That's how it works. We've got a messed up God for sending people to hell for being sick. Or we got a God that judges sin. That's the problem. And so we've allowed science to start. And it started with creation. We gave up the ground there. So now they own that in the culture, right? Most of the people think we're crazy because we believe God created the earth. Right? There's a, there's a remnant that still holds to that, you and I. Now we're getting squeezed. And pretty soon, pretty soon, there won't be any sins left. There will all be conditions or sicknesses. That's how the world's running. And why? Comes right back to the same problem of saying God don't create anything. That God's not responsible for creation. They don't want a world with a God that says you can't live like that. That's what's wrong with the world. They don't want a world with a God that says you're going to have to give an account for living like that. And I don't doubt. Listen, I know how the enemy works. He chains people up. But after a while, after you make the same decision over and over and over, he gains control. That's what leads people like that. And so people would say, well, he's not in his right mind. Why not? How many horrible decisions did he make to get there? Right? If you resist God for 25 years, you're not going to be in your right mind. That don't, they don't work that way. So God's the judge. We don't get to play in that game. But we can read his word. And he, if you, he says those who practice such things like that are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So 
we got to be careful letting the culture dictate our theology. We got to be careful letting science dictate our theology. And so when you run into that person that says, I was born this way, so we all were born into sin. Every one of us were born into sin. Whatever you chose to live or do and what other people choose to live, we may choose different paths to exploit that. But we're all born into sin. That's not an excuse. Everybody's born into sin. And I, you've heard me say this before. I borrowed this from an old-timer that said, uh, let somebody have a new baby and go up to them and say, well, what a pretty little sinner you have. Because <laughs> we're all born into sin. Every one of us are. So we've got to be careful letting the world control our theology. Do you not think God had all knowledge before we even developed some of the disciplines we had? What? Do you not think God knew how the brain worked before we came up with psychology? Do you think the first psychologist that stepped into the world stage informed God? <laughs> Is that possible? That's not possible. The Bible says his foolishness is wiser than our greatest wisdom. So we're not educating God. So we need to... And, and the more we dilute things, the more... And this is what really saddens me. The more we take away from his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy. Listen, I don't care what sin you chose. It's all, all things that are against God are wrong. He just wants to save us and redeem us and forgive us and bring us out of it. He, he don't want any of us to perish. So then he says, uh, they, these people, they are futile, right? They are transitory. They are given to change, as he said in Proverbs. They profess, uh, he says, uh, they didn't glorify him. They became few in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. See what happens when you reject, reject the truth and you don't recognize God and praise Him and worship Him and thank Him, what happens? Our hearts get darkened. They knew it, but they refused it. That's what he's saying here. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Is that not where we're at in our world today? And change the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like an inc a corruptible man. What if we could bring people back from the graveyard from 60 years ago, probably less than that, and just say, we're struggling here of, of trying to tell a difference between a man and a woman and which bathroom to go into? What do you think those people would say? They would look at us like, ain't you got something better to think about? Isn't there something more important that you could be concerning yourself with? Because that's plain, right? Uh, but that's where we're at. We've come to that place. Why? It's a rejection of truth. It's not because we don't have enough money. It's not because we're not smart. It's not because we don't have technology. It's not because we can't tell the difference between a man and a woman. We can. It's because we're rejecting truth. And when you and I reject truth or whoever, there's nowhere else to go. You're playing in an empty room. And he says, they changed the, corruptible, uh, the glory of a corruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man. This is idolatry, right? We, we have idolatry. 
And he says, uh, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And we've seen that idolatry uh, run the world, basically. And uh, he says, uh, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. But, and this is all on the heels of what he was upset with, right? Their, their unrighteousness, their ungodliness, they're suppressing the truth. They don't want others to know the truth. And they're living a life that's suppressing it. And they, they don't worship God. They don't give him thanks. Thanks. They're without an excuse, he says. They, even because they don't glorify him. Then they get futile in their mind. And then once they get futile in their mind, their hearts get darkened. And it all started because they started suppressing the truth. That's how it started. We were talking about this last night in the discipleship at the well. And there, when you've you got to be careful what you let minister to your mind. Because as that ministers to you, it starts captivating your way of thinking. And in, uh, in fact, let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Hold your spot here in, uh, in uh, Romans. But in uh, Philippians chapter 4, let me run over there real quick. In Philippians chapter 4, he gives us some instruction on what to think, right? How to think. Philippians 4 verse 8. Paul, the Holy Spirit says here, uh, here's one. Let's just back up to uh, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Don't, don't get distraught. Your God's got all this under control. Don't get, don't get moved by things. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Enter in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's interesting, isn't it? Every time, and that's why we got the prayer journey, right? The first thing we do is come through there with thanksgiving. That's the first thing. I don't care how many times a day I pray. I don't care when I pray. I, unless I'm seeing a car wreck happen, I might jump straight into something different. But I'm going to give thanks. Morning, lunch, night. I'm going to give thanks. That's the first thing I'm going to do. It's interesting to me here that he's saying, uh, come in with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. He tags that on there. You're not being more spiritual by skipping Thanksgiving. You're keeping yourself humble. Because when we give thanks, we're saying to God, we recognize you make things happen, not us. And that's important. Whatever you possess physically, spiritually, supernaturally, anything. You should be giving thanks to God for that because we didn't make those things happen. He opens the doors and closes the doors. We don't do that. We plant and water, but God gives the increase. So every good and perfect gift, James says, comes from the Father of lights down to us. So you ought to start your prayer time with thanksgiving every time. Every time. And he says, let your requests be made known to God. Now we know we pray for one another, but don't just get everybody else in on it. Get God in on it. Go to him. That's why the veil was rinsed. You have direct access. You've got a closet with old stinky tennis shoes in it. Crawl in it. And talk to God. He, he's right there listening. Uh, and he says, Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We want to guard our minds. Because that's where the battle gets going, Right? Here, the, the Lord gives you something, you, you receive it out of his word, in prayer time, whatever, and here comes the devil trying to throw some doubt in there, right? Trying to put fear in there. Right here in your soulish man, up there in the mind. 
And he says, so we want to keep this. We want to guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And we, if we're not careful, we'll get ourselves sidetracked with all kinds of foolishness. Look at this list and start guarding your mind with it. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are, are just, let that be the criteria for what you and I allow to minister to our soulish man or our minds. Now let's go back to Romans. <clears throat> said their hearts are darkened. They did not. They, they says, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts in verse 24 to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged, here it is, back to this truth, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. That's interesting. He didn't say lies, did he? He said for the lie. What are they doing here? They're rejecting God's truth so they can be their own God. What is the lie? Here's the lie. He knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll be like him. That's the lie. Remember what he told Eve? He slithered in there or he walked in there. He slithered out. <laughs> Most of you. That's a bad day for the serpent, wasn't it? <laughs> Come waltzing in, all looking, all styling, walked like he walked out of GQ, smooth talker. <laughs> then he's, bam, eating dirt from now on. <laughs> he walks in, he tells her, says, hey, uh, hath God said? He challenges what God said. That's how the enemy works, right? He comes in, he's, uh, and she's, she's there, and she's looking. He says, she said, well, God said, and he said, she, he challenges that, and then he throws the lie out there. He says, God, the only reason God is telling you not to eat that, because if you eat that, you're going to be like him. And he went after her, right? Basically, what, what he did with Eve, and you can watch most of these uh, talk shows that go around our world. Uh, what he did with Eve is he's basically saying, God's holding out on you, Eve. He's not letting you be all you can be. And she bought it. As long, and I'm going to give you a word about freedom here. This will help you. As long as it's somebody else's fault, you ain't never going to be free. You got to look in the mirror and take some responsibility for yourself. And that's what most of these crazy talk shows are about. Well, it's my dad, it's my mom, my neighbor didn't, uh, my neighbor looked at my dog wrong. That's why I'm in depression. <laughs> Whatever. They can use for an excuse, just excuse, excuse, excuse. So the devil comes in and basically works Eve over and says, God's holding out on you. He's not letting you be all you can be. You ought to just go ahead and eat that fruit, and then you'll be like him. That's the lie. These people are rejecting God because they're making themselves their own God. And that's what he tried to get Eve to fall into. And they fell into it, but it didn't work out like the serpent. And it didn't work out so good like for him either. It says, for this reason God gave them, um, it says, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I read one of the top leaders of the homosexual movement say, 
the only gods we have are our, are, are our own young men. That's how vile they are. And they target a demographic. Did you know that? If you read their own statistics, they're horrendous. The lifespan of a homosexual man is low, horribly low. From their own camp, they, their own statistics I read. And they target underage men. They target them. They want to train them. That's how enemy works. And that, I, I'm not picking on any particular sin. I just read some statistics about them uh, not too long ago and read how they operate and how, what their desire is, how they, their God is their own men. And that's, that's this whole premise here, right? We're making ourselves God. We're the top of the rung. We, we govern ourselves. And then he says, uh, the, he goes on to say, they exchange the truth of God for a lie, worship and serve the creature rather than Christ, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, he said, because it started with suppressing the truth, right? It started with, and now they abandon the truth. And so he keeps bringing this out. Paul, or the Holy Spirit here by Paul, is saying this is how the process works. You turn from the truth. You don't recognize God. It snowballs on you. And he said it'll get so vile because it'll snowball on you. It will get so vile that you're going to go down this path into sexual immorality. And he says, for this reason God gave them up to vile passion. For even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of a woman burning their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which is due. So that's what gave way to that. That's what gave way. They, got, they rejected God. They rejected his truth. And they made themselves their own governor. And that's what happens when we do that. We go into sin and we wind up in gross immorality. Because we reject, we reject it. And look what verse 28. He keeps coming back to this premise. You see that? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Uh, and I'm not here to verify um, whether Jeffrey Dahmer got saved before he died or not. But I, I watched the uh, interview uh, that he said he was born again. I think that's the terminology he used. And he said the reason uh, he didn't believe on Jesus Christ, because he didn't believe in Jesus, he said if there was a God, and listen to this theology here, better theology that comes out of some pulpits. He said uh, as, as long as I, he said there was a God out there, even if he was out there, he'd never walked a mile in my shoes. He said, and so... I didn't think I'd have to be accountable. He said, so I live my life in sin the way I wanted to. He said, I got caught up in demonic stuff, but I didn't believe I was going to have to give an account of myself someday. And the things he done was horrific. Not as horrific as what Hamas did a few weeks ago, but it was horrific. My wife read an article just two days ago what they did to those women. We can't even talk about it in mixed company. Terrific, make you want to just sit down and bawl. What those demonic people did. 
But he went on to say, he said, once I got introduced to Jesus Christ, he said, I realized that God had walked in my shoes. Boy, and that, that is the whole hope of salvation, isn't it? That somebody came out of heaven, the only begotten Son of God, and put my shoes on and your shoes on and walked where we walk. Faced everything we faced. Faced all the sin, all the disappointment, all the weakness. Everything we faced went through it without sin. Now, Paul said in Hebrews, he is able to comfort or succor those who are in those situations because he has walked a mile in our shoes. He went on to say, he said, once I realized that God had come to earth in the form of his son, that I knew I was going to be accountable for my actions. And he said, that's what caused me to convert to Christianity, to accept Christ as his Savior. We know God saves the worst, don't we? Moses was a murderer. <laughs> he saved Moses and made him be the leader of the second, the leader of the whole nation. And he put the, he put, used Moses to put the world in his place. If God can't save a murderer, then he can't save anybody. He can save us all. Aren't you glad of that? Because Paul said if you break one part of the law, you've broke the whole law. It don't matter which part you break. So, God did walk a mile in our shoes. He did come down and walk. He said, and they, he gave them, they did not like to retain God in the knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind or a reprobate. And a reprobate to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, de deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers. Now this reprobate, some of your translations will say reprobate or debased mind. This is not somebody who feels conviction anymore. This is somebody who's been given over. We call them apostates. There are three classes of people in the Hebrew. And you'll see them mentioned again in Peter's epistle. He, he illustrates it as well. The Hebrews, there are three classes of people. There are the Zadokim or the righteous there's the common sinner, the guy who, or gal who's in the balance, who's not made a decision. And then there's the Rashim in the Hebrew. Those are wicked people. And here's how the Hebrew describes that. Vessels fit for destruction. That's what they're fit for. So somebody who falls into a reprobate or an apostate state is somebody who's rejected the truth and has, has passed feeling, so to speak. Somebody who no longer comes under conviction. They're given to evil. And we see that in our world. We see people like that in our world. Given to evil. I'll tell you one little tidbit my wife read. That when they were raping those Israeli women. That if they even made a sound like they were being hurt or anything. They would stab them and continue to rape them. And then what they did after that, I don't even want to talk to you about it. If that were you and I, and I'm going to make a stand for Israel right here. And I know I'll get beat up for it a little bit somewhere. Amen. And I, I, amen. I don't care. I'm a mountain boy, buddy. <laughs> um, 
If that had been your daughter or sister, I would be over there saying, you, there shouldn't be one Hamas guy left by the time we're done here. Wipe them all out. Go into other countries and kill them. They cannot stand. They cannot be any of them left. It's horrendous. Horrendous. What happened to them? So then he says, they are sexual immoral, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife. That's what happened. When you abandon the truth of God, here's where you go. This is where you go. Do you know why God is so real about sin and what it does to us and so uh, aggressive about how He redeemed us with His only begotten Son because He knows the destruction it causes. Not only will it destroy us, it will destroy the fabric of everything we are and who we are. And then ultimately we'll wind up in hell. And he says, they backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, bolsters. Look at this one. Inventors of evil things. That's all over our world now. And I, I think I read this correctly in Jeremiah when he told Israel. They had got so sidetracked. Israel one time, he said, you guys are doing things I've not even thought about. How horrendous. Does sin get in people? We've, we see it. We see it in our own country. We saw that in Israel in October. How horrendous sin gets. And filmed. They filmed all that stuff. It's like a trophy for them. That's what it was for Jeffrey Dahmer. He kept parts, body parts, because those were like trophies for him. He says, undiscerning... They, well, let's back up. It says they are uh, evil madness, full of envy, murder, strife, evil mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Now look at this next line. For all those people who are okay with all that sin. Not only those who do the same. But those who approve of those who practice them. So we got to be careful that we don't participate in things. And approve it. By consenting to it, right? That's what we have to be careful with the media, right? That we don't indulge ourselves in things that God hates. Give an approval to it, right? The same thing would be true of some of these protests that are giving approval to what Hamas did. That evil. So... We live in a time and in a culture, and I'm going to read just a few more verses because this, this chapter wasn't here originally. Eusebius and his boys put these in here. So this thought, I want to continue with this thought. So basically, he says these people are going to get so vile and so bad that women are going to be sexual toward other women and men are going to be sexual toward other men. 
God's going to give them over to that. But this all came about because they rejected the truth, rejected God. And so this snowball effect takes place. And he kept reiterating that, right? It's because they won't heed God. They won't keep that. And then he says, therefore, you are inexcusable on the heels of what he just said there. Let me back up here. He says, knowing that the righteous judgment of God, and that's how he started off this passage, remember? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against, and then we come to here. So he reiterates that. He says, knowing that the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And again, if I could take you to 1 John, just I don't take you over there scripture to just remind you what's in 1 John there. 1 John, there's a difference between somebody who sins and falls into it and gets out of it, repents and turns from it from those who practice sin. That's what John's talking about there. Those who are practicing sin. And so he, he, he says, you guys approve of those who practice. Therefore, you're inexcusable, man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. So that's, that's the problem, right? Everybody's going to miss the mark from time to time. But the problem we're going to suffer is when we start practicing things that we know God hates. And that's what we got to get out of. Start making a decision to go the other way. Repentance is this. In the Greek, it's, it's that I'm going this direction and I've turned and go the other direction. I was going the wrong way and I turn. It's not just pausing right here and saying I'm sorry. It mean, True repentance means... I was going the wrong direction. I'm turning going the right way. And, and, and do yourself a favor. If you know something has an attraction to you, get it out of your life. Don't give yourself that opportunity. Remember that word? Let me go back to this word in the Greek. And we'll see this here in Romans uh, as we get to chapter 6. The Greek word parasteno. It means the setting up of self. He said, do not... Paul said, do not yield your members as members of unrighteousness, but yield your members as members of righteousness to the Lord, right? The word yield is parasteno, the word I just wrote there on the board. That word means the setting up of something. In other words, if, I, if I'm going to yield to God, I need to set myself up so that will be the course of my life. If I'm going to yield to sin, then I'll set myself up for that, right? That's how people, that's, that's the prelude. So the way to be an overcomer is set yourself up to succeed in righteousness. Do not allow yourself to set, be set up to do unrighteousness. And what does that mean? Well, it, it can mean different things to different people. Some people it may mean you got to stop that relationship because that relationship takes you to the party and you're trying to get out of the party, right? You, so you may have to sever that relationship. Right? Whatever. You may, uh, one of my closest friends who uh, loved alcohol more than anything, he's going to be the Lord now. But when he, when he got delivered from that, he started going to different stores. He started going to stores that didn't sell alcohol. Just a good decision, right? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with being smart, right? So that he wouldn't go into that in a moment of weakness and say, oh man, and there it was. So he changed his whole life. 
He, 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 he worked in the mines and he started going to stores when he would buy stuff or whatever that didn't have that. I mean, it's just a good decision. It's, that, that's parastano, right? That's setting yourself up to succeed and not setting yourself up to not succeed. So whatever that means to you, right? You know your life. You and God know it, right? You know where your weaknesses are at. Guard against it. Do something to guard against it. Do something to set yourself up to, to succeed and not to fail. And then he says, uh, For you who judge, practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same thing, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now that's really shaving close right there, isn't it? It's really shaving close. In other words, you can't be pointing the finger and doing the same thing. And he says, or do you despise, and I love this, and I'll close here. He says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness? Because I want to bring you out of the valley. I feel like we're down the valley. Let me see if I can bring you out just a little bit here. He says, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Wow. How long did God work on you? How long has he had to plow your field? Right? If you look back on it, you know, it's just like, ah. One of my, you know, I've, I've told some stories, true stories. Some happened to me, some are my friends. But one of my closest minister friends is in Pensacola, Florida, and he's got a church down there. He uh, really, he's a really good preacher. I mean, he's, he's a preacher, a preacher's preacher. I mean, he's just, just gifted. And, uh. Some of you may have heard me tell this, but it, it, it fits here. It's about the love and forbearance. He said in Pensacola, they had a guy move in who was what you would call a flaming homosexual. He wanted everybody to know it. I mean, he made sure he just, he was a high-end hairdresser that people would fly from New York everywhere to Pensacola to get this guy to work on them. And he said his house burned down in the neighborhood there. And he said, a couple of ladies in the church said, we're going to go over there and see if we can't do something for him. Take him food, reach out to him. And my friend said, uh, they went over there and the next Sunday he, he showed up for church. And he said, they had three services. And he said, he showed up for church and said he watched and said he cried the whole service. He stayed for all three services, I believe, that first time. The next Sunday, he came back and gave his heart to Jesus. And then he, the next Sunday, he came back, looked totally different. Told new man, every way. And so he sat down with my friend, and he said, I wanted to come and see what kind of people cared about me. Loved me. And he said, I hate the guy I used to be. I hate it. He said, it makes me sick. He said, now he comes to first church, stays for second in case he misses something in the first one. And third service, he stays and helps in the parking lot. Loves it. Fell in love with Jesus. Kind of like that woman that come into Jesus and washed his feet with her tears. And they said, if he knew what kind of woman was at his feet. And then he tells a story, right? Because he does know what we think. It was dangerous to be around Jesus. He knew what you was thinking before you said it. 
<laughs> and I, some of you heard me say this. When the Lord asks you a question, he ain't looking for no answer. He already knows the answer. He's trying to give you and I a chance to come clean. When he asked Cain where Abel was at, do you think he knew? He knew where Abel was at because he told Cain. He said he's crying out over here. So he, he, the forbearance, the long-suffering. And Jesus said, to whom much is forgiven, much is loved. How much have you been forgiven? The goodness, the long-suffering, the chasing. God chasing us. After us. The sheep, we didn't wander around and bump into the shepherd. That ain't how this works. Well, I, how many times have you heard people, and I know what they mean. They mean, well, I found God. No, you didn't. You were lost. He found you and wooed you in and loved you and gave you an opportunity to know him. And how long did he have to do that? How many trees did you, or how many cars, did, how many Volkswagens did you wrap around a telephone pole before God got your attention? I said that to a fellow one time. I said, how many cars are you going to wrap around a telephone pole for God to get your attention? So long-suffering, so forbearing. All this stuff we see that happens to people who reject God. But then look, he's, look what he says. He says, he says, do you despise the riches of good forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? That's the work of the Lord. He says, but in accordance with your hardness and your impentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath for the day of wrath and revelation, the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who are patient by their patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, indignation, and wrath. So it's really that way, right? It's always been that way. You choose today who you're going to serve. Today is the day, right? Joshua said that to Israel. He said, you choose life, you choose death. What are you going to choose? Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Today's the day of salvation. There really is something at stake. We can't ignore that. There's something at stake. There's no question about that. But it's not God's will that any would perish. He come to save the lost. And guess who that is? Everybody that's born. They're all born lost. So he come to save the lost. He loves us. He's long-suffering. The goodness. And he says, you guys that are not willing to receive his truth. He's saying to us. He says, the people are not willing to receive. He said, you're treasuring up wrath. The word for wrath there is orgay. And that word means it's like that last pebble or that last snowflake that hits the side of the mountain that sends the avalanche down. That's what that word means. He said, and that's the deception of sin, right? And I'll leave you with this. The deception of sin is I'm getting by with it. I'm okay. Nothing's really happened, right? But it's just, I don't know which snowflake has to land on that last snow for the whole mountain to just fall off of snow. But it does happen. see it all the time. I read some articles just the other day. We've already had several avalanches in the world where snow's just that last flake hit it. And here it comes. And that's what he's trying to get across here. He said... And that's the deception of sin, right? It, it, it seems like we're doing okay for a while. 
And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose in our lives. Literally, all hell. It just explodes. The good news is God wants to rescue you at any point of your life to pull you away from that. So that you don't have to be there when the avalanche happens. You'll be gone. Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you for your word. We do not, we do not want to do our own thing. We do not want to turn away from your word. We pray, God, that as we walk with you, you'll strengthen us and cause us to be more like you. Help us to take this message. There's a message of hope, but there's also a message. The other half of that message is that there's going to be a judgment someday. And we want to be found in you, not of our own righteousness, but in your righteousness, Jesus. And everybody said... Mm-hmm.